Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning. Uh, My name is James, and I am one of the pastors here at Reach Life, and I am excited about uh, bringing the Word of God this morning. Very honored that you would come and worship with us. And uh, if you would stand with me in the honor, in reading, in honoring the reading of the Word of God, we're going to be in Romans chapter 7 as we continue in our teaching series that's entitled Romans from Doctrine to Desire. And today, we plan, as we're getting into this passage this morning, we plan to discuss ways that we can battle the flesh <clears throat> and distractions in our lives, things that would take us away from the message. And uh, so as I read this passage this morning, as disciples of Jesus, I want you to see if you can relate to the Apostle Paul as he describes his struggle with sin. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning in our Bible. So we're going to start with Romans chapter 7, verse 15, and we're going to go all the way through verse 25. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do what I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And this is the the verse I really want us to look at. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for once again giving us the grace to be able to come together as your people in Jesus Christ. And we acknowledge again our great need for you to help us right now as we are getting into this word We know that uh, doctrine is good. We know that we need to to believe what is true and right. We need to intellectually understand your word, but we also acknowledge that head knowledge is, is not good enough for us. It's not good enough for you. We need our hearts to be enlightened and transformed by the word through your spirit. So we just ask that right now, by your grace and your mercy, that you would help us to hear, not only to hear, but to respond to whatever you have for us this morning. I pray this in Christ's name. 
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, this morning, I want to begin by telling a story, a story that a guy named Chris Longard tells. Um, This book, it's in this book that I have in my hand here. This is a book that I use, a resource that I use this this week as I was preparing for this message. And if you are someone who wants to learn how to wage war and go deeper and wage war with the flesh, this is a great resource that I highly recommend to you. But in this book, he tells a story about how he was wanting to surprise his wife by uh, before she came home, he, she, he wanted to take the refrigerator door that was on the wrong side and move it over to the other side. He had been putting it off. I mean, guys, we know what this guy's like, right? He was putting it off. He's like, I'm going to surprise her. So what he does is he takes off the door, and midway through the project, he realizes that there are two what's called torque screws. Now, this is a torque screw right here up on the screen. How many of you would say that you don't have a tool that you could take a torque screw off with at your house? Just put your hand up in the air. Okay, This is not a common screw, and it was not common in his house. And he's take, he took it off and saw that. He's, he's got the door off. The food is getting warm. Everything's starting to melt. He's starting to feel the, the stress of this project. How is, it, how is it, guys, ladies, that 30-minute project takes eight hours. I don't care how much you think it's going to be that quick. It's always longer. Well, that's what's happening to him. He's hundreds of dollars of food is starting to get uh, at risk. He's going to have to put it all back together, go to Home Depot, whatever he's got to do to get that torque screw thingy or just let it sit for another year. So with that in mind, he says this, right then, my three boys decided to move their traveling sibling rivalry show into the middle of my angst. I lost it. I let them have it, though they didn't deserve it. They stared at me as if I were a monster from Alpha Centura while I ranted in an unknown language. Parents are all laughing right now. Children are not. In mid-fit, I had an out-of-body experience. I saw my contorted red face screaming at my charming boys and knew at once I was doing something evil. So I stopped and asked them to forgive for forgiveness, right? Wrong. Something had control of me. It was as if an alien had invaded my body and was forcing me to do its bidding. It was long after they had fled from my wrath before I recovered my sanity and my conscience and humbled myself before them in groveling apologies. And parents, we can all relate to this right here. I spent the next several days feeling like a whipped puppy. Was I really that wicked? How could I hurt my children like that? Had I done irreparable harm, would they forgive me? Would would God forgive me? Let me ask you this. Has anything like that ever happened to you? Can you relate to Chris? I know we all can. If you can't, you might not be saved. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. The point I'm making is, you know, you truly love Jesus. Uh, You want to honor him. You really want to honor him. You want to live for him from a heart, from your heart, out of obedience and joy. But sometimes it seems like out of nowhere, sin attacks and it sabotages our plans. And then what does it do? It disappears and leaves you holding the bag 
and wallowing in a pool of guilt and hopelessness. You guys with me? Have you, have you ever been there? Are you there right now? If you're there right now, by God's grace, by the end of this message, you're not going to be. We're going to get out of that hole. But, church, what I'm getting at right here is this, this happens to the best of us and the worst of us. Because, and even though in chapter 6, three weeks ago, I preached a message about how the power of sin has been broken. We sing about it almost every Sunday. We sing about it this morning. The power of sin is broken through Jesus, and that's true. Last week, Pastor Terry talked us, told us that you know we have been empowered to walk in true freedom, which is what? Obedience to God. We've been set free to obey God, and yet, even though we have a new and willing heart, we can relate to verse 21, which I read earlier, which says this, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, when I want to follow Jesus, when I want to surprise my wife and do the right thing, evil or the indwelling sin or the flesh lies close at hand. It's right there beside me. Now, before I get too far in this message, I want us to understand something and what's going on here. Paul refers to himself as a wretched man, but it's not because he lived a life that is characterized by defeat. I know this because all you have to do is go to the next chapter, and by God's grace, we're going to be there in two more weeks, and look at verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 37. Paul says, no, I'm not defeated. In all things, we are more than what? Conquerors through who? Christ, who, gives, uh, who loves me. He's preaching the gospel to himself in that section. So this is not about, you know, as Christians, we're just defeated people. Uh, the point I'm making is that as disciples of Jesus, we can live victorious lives. But, and there's, there's a but here, in order to do so, we have to wisely engage in warfare against the indwelling desire to do evil. And so that's what I want us to deal with this morning. And, and, and to do so, I want to share three insights about our sin nature, three insights that I believe will help aid us as we continue to battle with the flesh. If you're taking notes and then when you came in, you got a weekly on the back, you can fill in some blanks there. That, that's there for you to use in order to help you stay with the sermon. But if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to write down is this. It's sin's goal. Sin's goal. Sin has a goal, and that is to keep you from glorifying God. Everything, it's all about God's glory. We were created, all things were created to glorify God, and the flesh hates God. The flesh hates God's glory. The, the, the flesh hates the image of God in you. And if you're a child of God, he hates the spirit of God within you. It hates the spirit of God within you. And, and he wants you to, he wants to wear you. It, I keep saying he, it wants to wear you down. It wants to make you leave your post to give up to turn uh, to addictions, to give in to lusts. Why? Not primarily to destroy you, although that is part of what's going on here, but in order to defame the holy name of God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So the indwelling sin within us has a goal, and that is to keep you from glorifying God. And every time Paul is saying here that every time that you seek to serve God, every time you seek to obey him and worship the Lord, you need to realize that evil lies close at hand. And it rises up 
in opposition. This is a, a teaching all throughout the scripture. If we just look at Galatians 5, verse 17, it says, For the desires of the flesh, the desires of the sin nature, are against the Spirit of God. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Why? To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, as a believer, what do we want to do? We want to glorify God. The flesh wants to keep you from doing that. In other words, if you take a step towards glorifying God, just know that the flesh is waiting for you with its open arms, working tirelessly to discourage you and to redirect you so that you won't do, it, do something about it. Now, I want you to think about it. How many times have you clearly heard God speak to you? Maybe it's through a sermon. As we're going through a sermon, you're hearing the word of God, and you hear God speaking to you. He says, you know, uh, uh, don't do this or do this. Take off, put on. You've heard him say that to you. Uh, maybe it's something like um, reach out uh, to someone and call them. Encourage them. He lays it on your heart. Text them. Text them. And maybe that person needs to hear that, but you don't do it. Or build a relationship at, at uh, work. Or deal with this particular sin. Something that God is clearly speaking to you. You've heard his voice, and it's healthy conviction. You know why it's healthy? How you know it's healthy? It's healthy because it doesn't leave you discouraged. Actually, it makes you go, yeah, you know, I need to do that. And then it goes from, I need to do that, to, I want to do that. And then it goes to, I'm going to do that. How many times have you said that in a service and, and, and you heard a message? You get up, you walk out, and a week later, you come back and go, I didn't do anything about whatever it was I was supposed to do something about. Listen, on, the, on, on your weekly, I want you to see that on the bottom of there, I can't remember exactly how, I, how it's worded, but it's, somebody tell me what's at the bottom of the weekly about um, what, what is Jesus... What, how is Jesus calling you to respond? That is a good place to write down. If, if God speaks, as God speaks to us this morning, write down what is he calling you to respond and take it home with you and pray about it. That's just a, a resource that we can use. But the, the, the thing about what I'm trying to, to get at is that our flesh wants to keep us from glorifying God. And when we hear a message, when we hear the word of God and we go, yeah, I want to do something about it, and we don't do something about it, one of the reasons is because our flesh is working against us and it is deceiving us into believing that because we heard the word and we enjoyed it and we loved it, it's deceiving us to thinking that we don't have to be a doer of the word. So that is something that, that we need to be aware of, that the flesh, its goal is to keep you from following the Lord or glorifying him. In verse 22 in our passage today, Paul says, for I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. His inner being is who he really is. It's, it's, it's that new creation that God has created. He says, I love, I love the law of God. Because, and because grace rules in the believer's heart, we love the things of God. We love the law of God. We want to obey God. We want to glorify him. And then there's verse 23. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. We need to understand that sin will always resist you when you seek to live out the gospel. It will always be there 
to resist you. That's why in verse 20 it says, now if I do not do, now if I do what I do not want, did you catch this? He says, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Is this a cop? Is Paul like going, you know, it's not my fault and the sin made me do it. No, he's talking about his old man. He's like, that's not me anymore. I don't agree with what that is. I may give in at times, but that's not me. And, and that's, that's part of his new identity that he sees in Christ. That's the old me, he says. It's resisting the new Christ, the new me in Christ. We're not Christ. The new me that's in Christ. So sin's goal is to keep you from glorifying God. And speaking of this war, Chris Lungard writes, you can feel the hostility of the flesh whenever you approach God. It makes real love for him into work. Digging around the Bible to find a juicy new insight to impress your small group is like sailing the Caribbean. But pouring over the scriptures to find the lover of your soul is like skiing up Mount Everest. Conjuring up a happy mood with some music you don't even know the words to is like solving two plus two with a calculator. But savoring the glory of Christ in his tender love until your heart is softened toward him is like using mental math to calculate pi to the thousandth place. And giving a birthday present to your best friend is like forcing down some double fudge brownies. But giving up your extra bedroom to a homeless person in the name of Jesus is like eating the Rockies for breakfast. Sin's goal is to keep us from glorifying God. Secondly, sin's strategy. Sin has a strategy, and that is it uses deception. Sin uses deception. And ever since the beginning, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, our enemies have chosen their number one weapon of choice has been deception, hasn't it? And the attack, listen, always begins with your mind. The attack always begins in the mind, in, in your reasoning. That's why we called this series From Doctrine to what? Desire, exactly. From Doctrine to Desire, because the doctrines should inform our desires. So it all, uh, it, the enemy always attacks the mind, and our minds are meant to be gatekeepers, the gatekeepers of our hearts and the gatekeepers of our souls. Now, you know that person that uh, when you go to a gated community that you have to stop at the gate to, to make sure that they know that you're not uh, going to do something harmful in the neighborhood? That's exactly what our minds are designed by God to be like. You know, that it's to be that guy that examines everything that comes into our hearts. Everything that seeks to make it into our hearts, because that is where, in our hearts, is where we live. Live things out or don't live things out. Questions that the, the guard keeper asks is, will this please God? Will this benefit my neighbor? Um, is this a, in accordance with the Word of God? And all throughout the Scriptures, we are commanded to protect and to develop our minds. For example, we're going to, in a few months, 
by God's grace, uh, next year in 2023, we hope to be in Romans chapter 12. And it, it says this, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. How? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How? By the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 26.3. This is a great... Hey, are you anxious? Here's why. You will keep in perfect peace those whose... Minds are steadfast on you because they trust in you. One more, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about it with your mind. Think about such things. You know, that, that right there, that verse right there, that's a great guard keeper, isn't it? Gatekeeper, isn't it? Um, the things that you're looking at throughout the week, does it, does it pass this test here? The things that you're thinking about? Just a, just a thought. So our minds are designed to detect and reject doctrinal vi viruses that the flesh seeks to pass off as truth. It's there to prevent lies from getting into our hearts because if they do, if the lies get into our hearts, we will present our members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. That's why we need to guard our minds. Now, like I said, sin's strategy is deception. And under this heading, I want to give us four lies that sin tells us. Number one is that you win I give up. The flesh tells you, you win, I give up. Now, what it's doing is it's playing possum. This picture, this next picture, you know what? Some of you are thinking Thanksgiving, but this is a, this is a possum. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen a possum in real life, but if it sees you coming and it's, you're a threat, it will act like it's dead. But you don't want to touch that possum. You don't touch it if it was dead, but you don't want to touch it when it's like this. Why? Because it's wanting you to think it's dead. It's wanting you to let down your defenses and leave it alone. And if you touch it, it's going to jump up and bite you. That's what sin does. It sometimes will lie dormant in you so that you'll let down your defenses, so that you'll be disheartened later when it rises up and knocks you flat on your back. That's the, that is the scheme of the flesh. The flesh never gets up, gives up. The flesh, I'm going to say that again, the flesh never gives up. Chris Lungard says that it's like, you know those trick birthday candles that you have on, a, a can, uh, on your birthday cake? You blow them out, you think they're out, they come back on. That's what the flesh is like. He also says, never think for a minute that the war against sin is over in this life. There isn't even a ceasefire. Many generals have been surprised because they were careless after a victory. 
Countless believers have been ambushed on the heels of a giant step forward in faith. Lie number two is this. You're special. God's law doesn't apply to you. Now, there's a truth in there, and there's a lie. Can you spot it? You are special, okay? You are special. Why? Because God says you're special. God created us. We are special. But to say that God's law, um, law doesn't apply to you in some cases is, is a lie. Um, your flesh will say, yes, God said thou shalt not or thou shalt do this or that. But in your situation, listen, it doesn't apply because you're the exception to the rule. Uh, you know, you've been through a lot. You, you, you've had a lot of pressure on you a lot of things that, you, that you've been dealing with. And why would God not want you to find relief in something, even if it's forbidden, if it gives you relief? I mean, how can something that makes you feel alive possibly be wrong? You know why? Because it doesn't glorify God. Sin, when we go and do things that God has said don't do or don't do what he says to do, we don't glorify God. Sin can tell you, you know, you've had a hard life. Um, you've been held back. People don't, don't uh, give you the respect and honor that you deserve. God will understand if you cut corners. God will understand if you fudge the numbers this year on your taxes. I mean, you've given to the church anyway, right? And you can give more if you do that. Um, that's how we think, isn't it? Uh, we, we justify the things. We go into debt sometimes. I remember uh, I had a friend that um, was in debt, and he went out and got a new truck. And I was like, okay. He said, well, I can use it for the Lord to help move people. And, and it was just like, and he believed that. It's, it's one of those things that, and, I, and I've been, done things too, but I'm going to tell you what they are. But it's one of those things where in our sin is deceptive. Our sin tells us lies, and sometimes we want to believe them, don't we? Lie number three is sin's reward will be worth God's consequences. Yeah, you reap what you sow, but don't forget, you're under grace. You're not under the law. This is, this is Romans 6 again, shall we go on sinning. You're under, you're under grace. Um. God is kind. He's, he's merciful. He will forgive you. I want to just say this one again because this is one that usually that can often get us. We need to beware of cheap grace. We need to be on the alert when you hear that voice telling you that, you know what, I know it's wrong, but I'll deal with the consequences later. Sin, as it's been said, sin will cost you more than you want to pay. And it always, listen, sin always leaves your heart a little bit more hardened. It deafens us to hear the voice of God and to respond to him. We need to beware of, the, of, of believing that the reward of sin is greater than God's consequences or the consequences for sinning. And one more I want to give us is that it will tell you is this. We can coexist together. Have you ever heard that one? Okay, listen, let's make a treaty. 
Let's make a, a deal. Let's be friends. Let's, let's live together. Because listen, you, the, pa- the pastor just already said you can't defeat me. I'm always going to be here. So I'm going to let you manage me. And, you know, if you'll give in to me this time, you'll be able to get me out of your system and I'll leave you alone. That is, that is a lie that we are often told by our sin, by our lusts. But I want to remind you, don't believe that because sin hates you. Sin hates you. Sin hates God. Um, look what it did to his son when our sin was allowed to, to take at, carry out what it wanted to do, what did sin do? Nailed our Savior to the cross. We talked about that. We sang about that this morning, that we were guilty of doing that. What sin did to Jesus, that's what sin wants to do to you. That's what sin wants to do to me. Sin is our enemy, and it wars within our members. And over time, As we battle, as we're at war, we can get weary. We can get faint-hearted. Some of you might be that this morning. And, and, you know, when we come uh, to the end of our rope, we realize we need a Savior, don't we? And that's where Paul cries out in verse 24, wretched man that I am. This is the most beautiful thing that we can say. I need a Savior is what he's saying. I realize I need a Savior who will deliver me from this body of death. And this is really the question that every human being is asking. Who will save me from death? We all know that death is coming. And all of us are trying to find a a, a Savior. And this is the most important question that needs to be answered. Because how you answer this question, who's going to save you, what's going to save you, is ultimately going to determine your eternal destiny. And that would be my question to us this morning, to you this morning. Who or what is your deliverer? We've already seen, Paul has already made it clear in chapters 1 through 5 that the law can't deliver you. It's good, but all it does is show you that you need a Savior and stirs up sin within you. We've just talked about how sin can't save you. Actually, it doesn't want to save you. It's there to destroy you. And hopefully you've come to a place where you realize you can't save yourself. The good news is that Paul gives us the answer, verse 25. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Will you read this with me? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the good news, isn't it? That although sin's desire is to keep us from glorifying God by deceiving us, sin has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. And that's the third truth I want us to see this morning is that sin's demise is Jesus. Now, right beside that, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus and put an exclamation point beside it. This is... uh, a, uh, something that I write at the top of dinner receipts if I leave a good tip. Um, I, I, I write that uh, on there. I try to do that just uh, to, to leave a small witness. And um, that is the answer. Listen, when you're at that place of, of uh, asking the question, who is going to deliver me? 
you need to remember Jesus. You need to go back and sit down and be still and remember Jesus. Hebrews 12 Verses 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, look at this, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus or remembering Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him or remember him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not, what, grow weary or faint-hearted. If you're weary, disciples of Jesus, if you're weary today, Scripture teaches us, remember Jesus Remember what he's done. Remember what he went through. And you know, on the night of of his arrest, Jesus has those who he uh, closely walked with, those who are closest to him, he has surrounded himself with them up in in the upper room. That's the same night that he assumes the role of a servant. Remember that? He washes their feet. He washes their feet. And then he takes the bread and he breaks it in front of them and says, this represents my body that's broken for you. Then he takes a cup full of wine. He says, this represents my blood, which was going to be poured out for you. And then he says, as often as you eat and drink, what? Do in remembrance of me. What is he saying there? Remember what I did for you. Remember that I have served you. Now, Jesus is expressing his heart here, isn't he? He is showing the deep love that he has for his disciples. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, the most unthinkable thing happens. This this is recorded in Luke 22. Right after he he gives uh, the bread and the wine, it says this, A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was what? The greatest. Jesus has just poured out his heart. He's Showed them what he's going to do. And they're like, thank you. Am I the greatest in here or, or what? That's what, what happens in there. And I, if that was me, if I was Jesus and this happened, I would be like, seriously, guys? I, I think, and I'm not exaggerating, I think I would flip the table. Uh, do you not realize, have you ever been like, do you not realize what I'm doing? That's what I would say. That's what many of you would say, too. I can tell because you're smiling. And this is what we need to savor. That's not what Jesus did. That is not what our Savior did. This is what we're doing. We're remembering Jesus. What did he do? It seems like he gently responds to them. You know what he says? He goes, okay, you know, in this world, um, if you're great, One of the perks is you get to be served in this world, but not in my kingdom. That's not how it rolls in my kingdom. He says, not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the one who serves. For who is the greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who comes and serves? And he says, 
Obviously, in this world, the one that reclines at the table, that's the one that's greater. But I, he says, am among you as the one who serves. What's he saying there? He's saying, I'm the greatest. And he is, isn't he? Isn't Jesus the greatest? I am the the greatest. I should be the one reclining where you're at right now, but I'm not. And he's not, I don't think it's in a bad spirit. I, I should be that. It's not in a bad spirit. But I'm not. I've made myself a servant to you whose sin is going to put me to death. And just the way you responded just now about wanting to be the greatest shows you haven't gotten it yet, but I'm not done with you. I'm going to keep giving you the gospel. I'm going to keep reminding you. He says, remember me. Remember what I've done for you. And then do it likewise to one another. And, you know, indwelling sin defends itself through two things. Pride, I deserve better. And through unbelief, and I'm so bad, God couldn't love me. But you know what conquers it? It's humility and faith in Jesus. It tears down its defenses and frees us to be who we were created to be, and that is obedient servants of God. Yeah, our sin is great, but our Savior is greater. His grace is greater. Therefore, we can say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.